With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at houseofcardsradio.com. You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over kings. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player Ashley Adams. Okay, you have some skill. Hello, listeners. Welcome to House of Cards. We've got a great show. This is Ashley Adams, host of House of Cards. Uh, Today's show is dedicated primarily to those who are interested in Internet poker. We have two guests who are going to talk about that. The first is somebody we've had on before who's going to give us the latest news on Internet poker law. He is the foremost authority on Internet and land-based gaming and the law. His name is I. Nelson Rose, Professor I. Nelson Rose. And he's going to talk about the latest developments in the world of Internet poker. And then we're going to have a fascinating guy, an entrepreneur who has started a company geared to Internet tournament players, uh, Internet poker tournament players. He started a company called Bubble Protection, which is exactly what it sounds like. His name is Eugene Castro. He's the chief executive officer of Bubble Protection. We're going to talk about his company and what it does for Internet poker players, sorry for you U.S. players. It won't apply to you, but it's a fascinating concept anyway. I think you'll enjoy listening to him as we talk to him about that. Of course, we'll then have a uh, a a session of mailbag, and uh, then we'll be done. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Professor I. Nelson Rose. Great moments in history. In 481 BC, the defeat of the Spartans at the Battle of Thermopylae. As long as Xerxes doesn't find the secret path to the hot gates, boy, is it, boy? Xerxes has found the secret goat path to the hot gates. Ah, shit! In June 2008, House of Cards began podcasting. Go to HouseOfCardsRadio.com and click on the podcast button for all recent show downloads. 
Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams, professional poker player, author, and host of House of Cards. You can all, wherever you're listening to our show, we're now blanketing the United States. You can send in your questions or comments about the show to info at houseofcardsradio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash H-O-C radio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash H-O-C radio. to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. This is the House of Cards. This is your poker education. Let's play some cards. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. And as promised, our most frequent and uh, probably our best informed guest that we have had on a number of times, uh, Professor I. Nelson Rose. And you can find out more if you're intrigued by this show. You can find out more about him by going to his website, gamblinginthelaw.com. He is, I think, the foremost authority on gambling in the law. And here he is. Nelson, are you there? Yes, Ashley. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> uh, happy to do it because it's absolutely honest, and I really love the times that you come on our show and let us know the latest with uh, the Internet gambling and, and also state-by-state -state gambling reports of what's going on. So, yeah, so uh, why don't you start? Have, Give us I, a report, and then i got a bunch of questions. Uh, okay. I, I was going to say, I've, I apparently have gotten a little controversial only because I uh, had, for example, predicted that the Super Committee was not going to include Internet gambling, uh, you know, in Congress last month. In fact, the Super Committee did nothing, so I was, <laughs> I was doubly right. That's right. I think I'm disappointed on both fronts, but sadly not surprised. Not surprised. So what is new in the world of, uh, in the world of gambling? Well, the main thing is on the state level, we're really seeing a lot of action for legalizing really all forms of gambling that aren't yet legal, of course. I mean, the, the main reason we can talk about legalizing Internet poker is there's so much gambling that uh, 
politicians and who need the, uh, more money for the states figure what's one more form of gambling. The problem, of course, is you get the entrenched local operators who don't want to compete, and they don't necessarily have the money that some outside casino company has. But, uh, you know, Massachusetts, the governor just signed a bill to create, and I can't remember now, three or four casinos. Three casinos and one slot parlor. He makes a distinction. The law makes a distinction between full service and now they yeah. call it destination style as opposed to slot parlors. And the uh, the three casinos are ge- going to be geographically divided. Um, there's one up in, in the western part of the state. Right. There's going to be one down in the southeast that's reserved for a year for the Indians if they can get their act together, and then it reverts back to uh, the Commonwealth as a whole if they can't get their act together, and then one in the uh, eastern part of the state, and it looks like a war right now between Foxborough and uh, Boston and Revere. That Yeah, and then the news coming out of New York uh, today or tomorrow is that the governor is going to push for a constitutional amendment so they can have live table games. Oh, wow. Casinos. Uh, and then you, we've got the results, the amazing results from New Jersey in the election. <clears throat> and this is an off-year election where you don't have the big turnouts and the people voted overwhelmingly to bring in sports betting. Ah, so, okay. So the spread of gambling is spreading um, and the states, of course, are still absolutely desperate for any money they can get, and gambling is seen as a painless tax or a voluntary tax. So, uh, interestingly, the, the, the two jurisdictions that are going to start with uh, Internet poker, intrastate Internet poker, if everything works out, are the District of Columbia, where it's technically legal, and, of all places, Iowa, which is not the center of hedonism of this country, but but does have a record of being the first in the nation on a lot of things. And they came out with a report that everybody expected that said, yeah, you can control it, it'll make money. The, le- the state legislature meets in January only for a few months. Uh, I expect that uh, there's a very good chance that Iowa will legalize Internet poker next year. Uh, California will probably legalize. It'll be on the ballot in New Jersey in November and the voters will approve it. Um, and then you've got um, the bad news is that uh, Barney Frank has announced he's retiring from the House of Representatives, and he is really the only true advocate of uh, Internet poker. Um, and so the chances now, what you're left with are weak advocates like Harry Reid in the Senate, who represents Nevada, which means he represents Nevada casinos, um, and yeah, if they get the the right to operate the internet poker, then you know, then they're in favor of it. And people like uh, Joe Barton, who is an extremely, extremely conservative Republican from Texas, um, who's getting a lot of donations, but has actually voted against internet poker in the past. And uh, realistically, there's no chance that this Congress as its only substantive law, is going to legalize Internet poker. Well, you mentioned D.C. Yeah. And I know that they legalized it, uh, intrastate Internet Intra. gambling, but what's actually happened? Well, I'm actually a consultant for the D.C. lottery on a different issue, so I've been following it pretty closely. Uh, and it's clearly now legal, 
it's not just internet poker, it's also blackjack and some other games, and it would be set up like, uh, you know, you take your laptop to uh, Starbucks and you register there. Uh, but it's gotten involved with politics and controversy. It was supposed to start in October. Now they're talking, you know, early 2012, or, of course, as often happens, possibly never. Well, what's the controversy and what's the problem? Well, there's a controversy about how, not the not Internet poker, but how the lottery itself has given contracts in the past. Uh, there, I shouldn't say that, there, that, that it's not Internet poker. There also is a controversy as to how this was done, because uh, legalizing Internet poker in D.C. was slipped into the budget. It's like a half a page long law, and so only... After the fact, did they start holding hearings all over the uh, Washington, D.C. to get people's input? Nelson, I'm just, we're going to have to take a quick break. I want to continue to talk about D.C. and then what's likely to happen in other states as soon as we get back. But listeners, we're talking to Professor I. Nelson Rose, the expert on gambling and the law. We'll be right back. You're like me, you're an announcer. That means you get paid way too much money for just a few seconds of coming up next. It's Blossom, followed by an all-new Caroline in the City. You stay out all night partying, wake up late with a vodka hangover, stumble out of bed, throw on some overpriced clothes, get in your little sports car and flip people off while you're driving. You get to where you're going 30 minutes to an hour late. Then you grab the script, do one take, and tell the twerpy little producer that if he wants better, he can hire James Earl Jones. Because you've been doing this since before he was even born. Then you speed out of the studio, schmooze a few ladies with, Hello ladies, you look lovely today. Why, yes, I am an announcer. And it's all because a couple of friends once said to you, Hey, you've got a great voice. You should be on the radio or announcing TV commercials or something. So, you think you're God, and you know you've got his voice, so what the hell? Brought to you by the National Broadcasters Association. Don't just listen to House of Cards. Now you can be part of the show with the House of Cards hotline. Call us at 609-474-HOCR and leave a message for Ashley and the rest of the House of Cards crew. Comments about the show? Poker questions? You just want us to know about great places to play, or you just got bluffed out of a pot. Your messages may even be played on the air. Give us a call at 609-474-HOCR. That's 609-474-4627. The House of Cards Hotline, available 24 hours a day. Call the hotline or send us an email at info at houseofcardsradio.com. And don't forget to visit our website at houseofcardsradio.com and follow the show on Twitter and Facebook. By leaving a message with House of Cards, you consent to having your message played on the air. Great Moments in History In 1750, while flying a kite with his child, Benjamin Franklin discovered the properties of electricity. That last bolt of lightning smelled like... Yes, the lightning... In June 2008, House of Cards began podcasting. Go to HouseOfCardsRadio.com and click on the podcast button for all recent show downloads.
You're listening to the House of Cards. What happened to your money? Good question. You know how easy Texas Hold'em looks on TV when you can see the other guy's whole cards? Yeah. Very different in real life. Welcome back, listeners. We're here still with Professor I. Nelson Rose, who is the expert on gambling and the law. You can read more about his thoughtful words and uh, observations at gamblingandthelaw.com. But uh, we were talking about the legalization of Internet gambling of different forms in D.C., and you were talking about what some of the stumbling blocks have been to actually starting it. And I'm wondering what's been going on and what you see the prognosis being. Well, the interesting thing is that I expected it to be Congress because, you know, the District of Columbia is a special federal enclave. It's not a state. And anything they do can get overridden by the House of Representatives in particular, but the Senate. And um, it's come up. They've had hearings on budgets and such, and it just isn't an issue uh, I thought the Department of Justice, which obviously is headquartered in Washington, D.C., might start getting upset about, hey, look at what they're going to be opening casinos and Internet gambling in Washington. And No, it's local politics. It's uh, a lot of times it's the companies that didn't get the contract or it's political, it's local political factions that felt that the People in power who did this didn't have enough hearings on it or or that they're issuing their multi-million dollar state lottery contracts without having, uh, you know, an open enough process. Uh, the best I'm able to tell, it's the same thing that has happened with a lot of state lotteries around the country, including D.C., in the past, and it's not going to amount to much except that politically it stalls everything for months and months. It reminds me of what happens when a very rich person dies and leaves millions of dollars to his heirs, Ah. and uh, they all are fighting among each other over how they're going to get the money, which delays the disbursement of the money indefinitely. You know, there is an ancient Chinese curse that says you never know somebody until you share an inheritance with them. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, you're absolutely right. And here, it used to be that almost every large uh, lottery contract that was awarded, there was a lawsuit by the losers. So, yeah, this is, I mean, there's so much money involved that, and there's so much politics involved that it's, it's been delayed. But I don't think, uh, from what I can tell, it, it, I don't think it's enough to kill it, uh, but it is enough to delay it. Obviously, it was supposed to start in October. Well, then I don't see why we'd be optimistic that it's going to start in January, February, or for that matter, in 2012. Um, I mean, things that are reason, litigious can take years. I think it could. I, the reason it's to be optimistic is um, the country is in such still such desperate economic shape, although obviously unemployment figures are, are coming down and, and there's a recovery. But the states now... Since, since the Republicans took over the House in January of this year, it's clear there will be no federal money for state budgets, including the District of Columbia. And there, we've got 46 states, 47 if you include D.C., that are projecting budget deficits. They can't raise taxes anymore. They can't cut services anymore. 
so they're all looking for ways, easy ways to raise revenue, and gambling is seen as a painless tax. Yeah, but you know, Nelson, with that logic, you'd say that nationally, where we're suffering from the same problems that we're suffering on a statewide basis, huge Mm -hmm. budget deficits, an inability or lack of will to raise taxes or decrease services uh, or cut expenditures, you'd think nationally we would also be embracing the easy money, so to speak, of gambling, especially Uh, internet gambling, but we're not. The difference is on a national level, gambling is actually quite small. The estimate for how much money Internet poker will bring to the federal government, the most optimistic estimate was $40 billion over the next 10 years. The budget deficit they were talking about trying to solve with the super committee was $1.5 trillion. That's $1,000. 500 billion and gambling only brings in maybe 4%. 40 billion, right? So, so the other thing, well, you know, 40 billion here and 40 billion there, pretty soon you have a lot of money. Well, but the other problem <laughs> is if the federal government gets in this, they tried this in Canada. Uh, the federal government said it was going to start a lottery. And of course, the state lottery said, wait a minute, you're going to wipe us out. You're going to put us out of business. So every, there's only two states that don't have commercial gambling, and if the federal government was going to legalize gambling and start, particularly if it was going to be a competitor to the states, uh, it it won't go anywhere. But more importantly, look at it this way. Since January of, uh, since the Republicans took over the House in January, there have been literally no substantive laws passed in the United States Congress except for a little bit tweaking of the patent laws. All the Congress has done is it's named post offices, it's named some courthouses, it appointed three people to the Smithsonian Board of Directors, Uh, it reluctantly agreed to extend some programs like the FAA, you know, there's been some money votes like raising the debt ceiling, but literally no substantive law has been passed by Congress. Right. So what's it's the chance that the only substantive law that would be passed would deal with gambling? I think it's pretty small, as you as you do. Um, yeah. My concern is, though, that logic notwithstanding, it seems hard to pass anything having to do with Internet gambling, right. as you just pointed uh, out, on, on, on a, a national federal. level. But the same argument that you're applying on the national level could apply on the state level as well. The difference in the state level is the states can't print money, and so the states can't have a deficit, where the federal government obviously can have a deficit. So the states have to balance the budget. They have to come up with the money, and the states that are looking to expand gambling, which is every state, are not doing this to protect the local companies. They're doing this purely to raise money. So in where the big money and the local operators are the same, like in New Jersey, there's no problem. They'll put it on the ballot in November, it'll pass, and the, the licenses will go to the Atlantic City casinos. In California, you've got Indian casinos, you've got card clubs, but they don't have the kind of money. You don't have like a, uh, a Caesars Entertainment that can come and say, here's a check for $100 million. Um, and and we'll give you 20% of the gross gaming revenue. 
um, so they've got to work out, all right, how do we give multiple licenses and bring in the big outside money so that we can help balance, um, you know, balance the budget? Right. Well, I I would like to be optimistic. I got a couple of questions uh, for you on Internet gambling, and then I'd like to talk to you, if you can, about uh, Full Tilt in specific, if you know about that. Um, One of my favorite topics. Okay, good, because I'm eager to find out more about it. But on the question of the UIGEA and overturning it or amending it, now that Barney Frank is gone, you pointed out he was our best advocate yeah. What's what's going on with the PPA and uh, Senator Alphonse D'Amato and their efforts? Have they just not been effective? Are they not doing all that much? I mean, I, I read about them. We have them on the show. We have a link to become a member. But I'm wondering, what what's your view of what they've done and what they haven't done? I'm, I'm, I have to say I'm surprised you would ask that. I think that they've actually been uh, very effective given that nobody in Congress, except for a handful, care about the issue. Either way, they, they, you don't find any – think about it. How many strong advocates are there, particularly if Barney Frank is gone? And how many strong opponents are there? I mean, John Kyle is going to be gone, too. So uh, the PPA started out, you know, not, not – maybe a little naive. They brought in uh, a former senator. They brought in – you know, they, they, they seem to be doing what they need to do to try to lobby – the problem is nobody is succeeding in anything. I mean, what, what, name any other substantive law in any field, anything at all that is happening in the United States that, no, that, you're right. that, that is going through Congress. You're right. I agree. Right. This is something that maybe is particularly non-controversial, though. Well, it is, no, no, very controversial. It's gambling, right? The, 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 you still the, have the, a large, the, a large the, number of people that are... Opposed to gambling of any kind, even with all the gambling that's going on? One-third of the population is against gambling no matter what you do. They are strongly opposed. They tend to be overwhelmingly right-wing, right-wing religious and conservative and Republican. But there is also a small bets group of paternalistic Democrats who feel that poor people should not be gambling, they should not be buying McDonald's hamburgers, right? People like Ralph Nader. Um, So, uh, and then you've got, so one-third is against gambling. One-third is neutral, and one-third is very weakly in favor of it. Very, very few are strongly in favor. The good news is that most most of the people, you can probably swing them over, including the politicians, uh, the fiscal conservatives in the Republican Party are, think gambling is fine because it means that you don't have to raise taxes. It's the social conservatives, the people who think that, you know, during a budget crisis we should be debating abortion. Um, and But even there, what we're finding is, like Iowa is the best example, last year in Iowa, the voters voted out three sitting justices of the Supreme Court because those justices had voted in favor of same-sex marriage. The same voters voted to keep their casinos by overwhelming numbers in dozens of counties. Hmm. So um, it's, it is, it's, if, if you can neutralize the social conservatives on the, the religious far right and the paternalistic liberals on the far left, you can get it through. 
The biggest problem is nobody cares about the issue. I right. mean, you and I under, know what's going on, but you ask your, your average member of Congress, and this is not even in the, the, the top 500 issues for them. All right. We have about uh, two, three minutes left. Tell us about Full Tilt. Am I going to get my money back? Well, that <laughs> that is a good question. I think uh, I am just astounded. Uh, first, I have to say that it is clear not all the insiders were involved. Some of the insiders who knew what was going on, who knew what was, they knew what was going on, they were stupid, greedy, and arrogant. And uh, for the best I'm able to tell, if the allegations are true, that you got people like uh, Howard Letterer, the professional poker player, who took out like $40 million, and it wasn't his money. This is, this is, this is uh, player deposits. The in, and if he'd only taken out $10 million, everybody could have gotten their money back. Did he take out $40 million knowing that he was absolutely going to end up screwing the players, or did he take it out thinking, well, I could take it out now, I'll pay it back later, or I'll, the site's doing so well, I don't have anything to worry about? Do you think there was... I don't know. I, I, you know I, we're basing this on allegations from the federal government in criminal and civil complaints. What right? do you think? So, What's your? You, well, do you know, do you know these guys is, at all? My my gut feelings. I've, I've worked with. I know some of these guys. I know the. I know the regulators in Alderney, um, and I can tell you that the insiders never told the regulators that the money had been seized by the federal government. What happened is there's three hundred and ninety million dollars that are players' deposits. These insiders took out $440 million over the last four years. If they had only taken out 300, if they hadn't been greedy, if they had taken out $390 million, uh, you know, $50 million instead, well, they have another $60 million sitting around. They, if they had taken out one quarter of the amount that they, had ta- they took out, there'd be enough for everybody. So I just don't understand what, frankly, is, is appalling to me is how the insiders could have taken a penny of it out. Right. How can you take out a deposit? <laughs> Nelson, we're going to have to end it there. Um, yeah. We want to have you back on as soon as there's more news. You're always an entertaining guest. Listeners, we've been talking to Professor I. Nelson Rose. His site is gamblingandthelaw.com. I recommend it to all of you. He is the expert on gambling and the law. Thank you for joining us. Ashley, thanks a great. Uh, thanks for having me, and, and great show. Let me know whenever you want me on again. Okay, terrific. Listeners, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Hey, Jersey, we want to hear from you. Send us an email at info at houseofcardsradio.com or leave a message at our hotline at 609-474-4627. Hey, you serious about poker? Then winning seven-card stud by Ashley Adams is a must-have for stud players of all levels. In winning seven-card stud, the World Series of Poker Veteran takes you through a series of lessons and strategies designed to make you a better player in all phases of your game. The techniques of betting, what cards to play, how to read the other players, the art of bluffing. You'll learn to master them all. Winning 7-Card Stud by professional poker player Ashley Adams. Available at Amazon.com. Do you hate to go to funerals? Tired of the awkward and depressing moments just standing around? 
Well, at Sticky and Son Funeral Home, we want to remind you that the first three letters in funeral are F-U-N FUN! We have plenty of entertainment for the kids, including pinball and arcade games, an open bar, live DJ. Plus, we beefed up the old depressing methods of burial with what else? Hamburgers and hot dogs! Roast a complimentary dog over Uncle Billy's cremation fire. Make sure you bring your swimsuit Uncle Jerry's burial at sea in the area's largest wave pool! Or try one of our theme funerals, our most popular and special this week, Circus Send-Off. Complete with clowns and jugglers, shoot Grandpa off to his final resting place in our giant cannon. Spend a tropical evening with our luau theme, including hula dancers, a roast pig, and lays for everyone. You can also try our brand new cryogenic ski package. Your loved one may be on ice, but make sure you bundle up as you hit the slopes. What a better way to say a final farewell. At Stiffy and Son Funeral Home, we try to make death the memory of a lifetime. Poker players, listen up. Your right to play poker continues to come under attack. But with over one million members, the Poker Players Alliance is dedicated to protecting your right to play this great American pastime. Even if you've never played a hand of online poker, the Poker Players Alliance is fighting for you. No matter where you choose to play, the PPA is working hard to defend you, your rights, and the game of poker. The PPA is making great strides, but we still need your help. We have sent a clear message to lawmakers and others committed to prohibiting your right to play poker. We are organized, and we vote. Add your voice to our cause and join the Poker Players Alliance today. Visit www.joinppa.org and become part of the fight to save poker. It only takes a few minutes to make a difference. The Poker Players Alliance, fighting to protect your freedom to play the game we love. Hey, this is Dave Weishadol from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of January 9th, 2012. Well, soon it may be up to the voters of New Jersey whether intrastate gambling will be allowed in the Garden State. Debate is going on right now to determine if the state constitution requires the question to be put to the New Jersey voters. Governor Chris Christie vetoed an online gambling bill in March of last year for precisely this reason. Last week, Governor Christie said he supports Internet gambling if it complies with the state constitution and is focused in Atlantic City. New Jersey is in a race with Nevada to be the first state to allow Internet gambling. And speaking of Nevada, visitors will notice a bit of a change on the Strip. At the end of 2011, the license agreement ran out on the naming rights at the Las Vegas Hilton, and the property started the new year with the name the Las Vegas Hotel and Casino. The Las Vegas Hilton opened in 1969 and has been an iconic presence on the Las Vegas Strip. The Hilton may be most famous for being the stopping grounds for Elvis Presley, who played about a thousand shows there. And finally, it wasn't a remake of Ocean's Eleven, but the power did go out for a brief time in the Bellagio on New Year's Eve. The outage lasted from about noon to 7 p.m., causing some hotel guests to be moved to other rooms or transferred to the MGM resorts. Clark County investigators determined that the power cables that ran alongside the resort were degraded. What a great start to the new year. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gambling, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow House of Cards on Twitter at HOC Radio. Don't just listen to House of Cards. Now you can be part of the show with the House of Cards hotline. Comments about the show? Poker questions? You just want us to know about great places to play or you just got bluffed out of a pot? Your messages may even be played on the air. Give us a call at 609-474-HOCR. That's 609-474-4627. 
the House of Cards hotline, available 24 hours a day. By leaving a message with House of Cards, you consent to having your message played on the air. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. Now, I do some other stuff, but poker, that's the thing I do best. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams, and we are joined by a fascinating and creative guy. I want to set this up so you appreciate who this gentleman is, and he's going to explain in more detail what he does and what his product is that he's created. First of all, he was a business guy, so he has a lot of business acumen. He became an avid poker player in around 2007, and then he thought about what he could do with his business skills and his creative energies in the poker world, and he came up with, at least as far as I can tell, Two great businesses. First of all, an agent of sorts who represents top flight poker players as their representative negotiating contracts with the major tours and any other business ventures that they may have, I suspect. But second, and the point of today's show, is creating an online, a tool for online poker players who want to manage their bankroll better. The name of the business is Bubble Protection. And we're here with Eugene Castro, who is the chief executive officer of that company, as well as Poker Players International, which is essentially his talent agent of poker players. So, Gene, are you there? I am. Hi, Ashley. Hi. Did that introduction do you justice? Does it explain who you are? Uh, Yeah, and uh, thank you. It was very flattering. Okay. Well, tell us more detail about exactly what it is you do. Well, uh, about a year ago, somebody floated a concept by which we would help poker players that were playing in live tournaments to protect their bankroll when they approach the bubble. Uh, For the people listening uh, out there, you know the most unenviable position to be in is the person who who loses in a poker tournament right before they cash, and that's called the bubble boy. and you hate to be on. You hate to be the bubble boy, and they make a big deal out of it at the World Series of Poker each year. Uh, and the thought was, what can we do to protect that? Um, understanding that that would be a very difficult thing to do at a live venue for a lot of reasons. Uh, the least of which is stopping the clock when you play hand for hand as you approach the bubble. But if you did it online, where you had a great volume of players who had smaller buy-ins that were looking for very minor edges to save a few dollars here and a few dollars there, uh, it might be very effective. And that was the birth of the idea behind bubble protection. But it applies more than just to protecting people from being on the bubble itself, doesn't it? Isn't it somewhat broader protection? Yeah, actually it is. Uh, And the best way to explain what we do is to give you an example of how a regular tournament would run. Uh, Typically, an online site such as uh, PokerStars or Party Poker, they pay approximately 15% of the field. So in a tournament that has 1,000 entrants, they would pay numbers 1 through 150. We add exactly 10% of the total field field size to represent what the bubble is, which means positions 151 through 250, uh, if they were to uh, protect their tournament buy-in would receive their buy-in and rake back if they fall within that range. So it's literally 
a hundred bubble positions in a thousand person tournament I or ten percent. I see. So can you give us an idea of what it costs and how people take advantage of it? Sure. Uh, well, you visit the site and you register. The site is what? What is the site? Uh, it's called bubbleprotection.com. Okay. And when you go to the site, unfortunately, um, I know you have some international listeners. For the people who are listening live that live inside the U.S., like most things that are frustrating, we're, we're not available to U.S. players, and we do not cover any sites that offer poker to U.S. players. And we hope that time will come soon so that we'll be able to open up uh, to all of our American players. But having said that, you go to the site, and we have a tournament schedule that shows all of the events, regularly scheduled events on party poker, eye poker, and poker stars. And you select the tournament you're, you've played in, you're playing in, and you purchase protection. Um, the fee at present is 12%, and that covers the transaction cost and the fact that you now have this weapon that basically allows you to basket hang, to steal a phrase from uh, another sport, and wait until you get close to the bubble, get into the bubble, and now strategy takes hold. When you're in that position, because uh, no one knows you own it, no one knows you've purchased it, you're able to play much more aggressively because you, you, you play without the fear of falling short of the right. money. You've made the money before anybody else knows you've made the money, which gives you an edge, psychologically at least, because now you're not afraid of getting zero. You you can play to maximize how much you win. That's correct. And I can give you a few illustrations. Uh, Go ahead. Please and, do. And, and the most important thing about bubble protection is when you purchase it, to analyze whether it's a good value for you or not, is not to look at how much money you spent on bubble protection and how much we paid you back, but rather the, the totality of your activity. What happened in that tournament? Did you... Uh, go on to final table the event because you had the protection and the strength and the confidence not to fall short. Uh, we've had in the past two weeks, several people have gone on to uh, very deep final tables that purchased bubble protection. They might have spent, you know, as little as $3, as much as $25 for their protection, but they went on to win, you know, many thousands of dollars. And, uh, you know, I would imagine that, that uh, a couple of them that we've spoken to have said, you know, it really helped because there was a couple of hands I folded to get get into the money, uh, and then I felt powerful and went at it. So I, it, it really should be used strategically. Well, it seems to me like the only group of players for whom this would not make any sense would be those players who are so inept that they don't even make the bubble, and that no matter how much insurance they purchase, uh, it doesn't affect them at all because even with the slight psychological edge they would get when they hit the bubble, they're not competent enough to take advantage of that because they don't even reach the bubble. That, that's with true. that and possible you know, exception, everybody else could benefit from this. I, I, would, I would say you're right, and there's plenty of tools out there to track your past behavior, your, your past results to see if it's a good uh, investment for you. And perhaps with this uh, on your side, it can improve your play. It could teach you to play a little bit more solid. It could teach you to play a little bit more conservative, to get deeper runs in tournaments. I, we don't want uh, people to never bubble. 
we would like everyone to have a mixture of bubbling and, and, and prevailing. This is not a product for somebody who starts a tournament off and starts going all in right off the bat. Right. Why, waste, why waste your money? But if you want to play the game correctly and get better, uh, this is a great management tool, and, a, and it's a wonderful st- statistical pr- uh, tool for you to track your development. Plus, it, it gives players that may otherwise lack it a sense that they have an edge. From the very first hand that they play, they're going to feel a little bit emboldened to play their best game and not worry so much about the vagaries of chance, since this is going to improve the chances that they'll be able to let skill take over rather than being worried that they're going to miss out and be on the bubble or in the bottom or in the 10% below the actual bubble position. Very interesting. How did you come up with this? Being uh, very involved with um, uh, Poker Players International, our management company, uh, my partner and I, uh, Randy Casper, who's uh, a former NFL agent, we have the ear of, of the best players in the world. And we know what their concerns are. We know about bankroll management and uh, surviving during that cold period. So it really posed a question, what can you do to, to, to address that? And couple that with my and our uh, knowledge of some of the products that are, that are out there, the thought was, why couldn't we pull information from various third-party sites? And this sounds very technical, but I'm not a computer person. I said, why couldn't we bring that in, analyze the data, and basically uh, end up in an automatic resolution of a claim? I mean, the, the, the application of this is not necessarily limited to poker, but it basically, our patents state that you're able to uh, have automatic claim resolution, something that's really unheard of in the insurance and in indemnification industry. Everyone generally has to make a claim. They have to prove their claim. Here it is. You've purchased protection. We, we analyze the tournament entries, then the tournament results. We, we identify what the bubble size is, and if you fall into that area, your claim is automatically resolved. And uh, um, so it, it's really simple in nature. It's kind of amazing that uh, somebody hasn't come up with it, but it's a heavy it's a heavy job. The, the technology behind this is we've been working on it for the better part of a year, and we continue to uh, streamline and improve every day. Well, we've just got about 30 seconds left. I, I have just a couple of very quick questions for you. First of all, how many subscribers do you have so far? Well, we're, we always keep it anonymous. No right. one will ever know. We won't release the name. We really haven't launched and marketed to players yet. Okay. But I can tell you we've had more than 1,000 uh, tournaments covered. Wow. And uh, we're, we're registering players. Uh, I think we had 100 uh, one day this week. And so it's pretty, it's pretty active, and we haven't really reached out to the playing well, community. Well, to all our international listeners, and we have many in Canada and all across the world, uh, this is something that makes a lot of sense to me. And if uh, I could play uh, in the United States, which I can't because of ridiculously restrictive laws, uh, I would definitely consider bubble protection. But thank you for joining us, Gene. And as your, as your company develops, as you get... Uh, more clients, and as you maybe diversify and do a few other things other than just bubble protection, because it sounds like there are all sorts of possibilities. And also, if they legalize Internet gambling in the United States, I'd love to have you back on. Well, we know that's going to happen, and Ashley, uh, 
it sounds like you're a veteran of bubble protection, although we're only a couple of weeks old, and you'd be a marvelous spokesperson for us. So, uh, <laughs> well, I'll uh, be happy to consider any offers. We'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep you in mind for that. <laughs> okay. Take care, Gene. That was Gene Castro, who's the CEO of Bubble Protection, uh, which you can reach at bubbleprotection.com. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Hey, you serious about poker? Then winning 7-Card Stud by Ashley Adams is a must-have for stud players of all levels. In winning 7-Card Stud, the World Series of Poker Veteran takes you through a series of lessons and strategies designed to make you a better player in all phases of your game. The techniques of betting, what cards to play, how to read the other players, the art of bluffing. You'll learn to master them all. Winning 7-Card Stud by professional poker player Ashley Adams. Available at Amazon.com. Hi, listeners, this is Ashley Adams. I just wanted to uh, mention something, that if any of you have any poker questions that you would like to ask, we are always interested in your questions and comments about the show, about the guest strategy questions. They could be practical questions about where and how to find the game. Send your questions to info at houseofcardsradio.com and you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash H-O-C radio. We're very interested in them and of course if they're particularly interesting we'll put them on the air and answer them here in our segment of Mailbag. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash H-O-C radio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash H-O-C radio. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at houseofcardsradio.com. Previously on House of Cards, they were very rude, and um, they kicked me out. Really? They, they kicked me out of <laughs> About a minute and a half later, two very large guys came up behind me as I was seated, and they said, Sir, you'll have to come with us. You've been asked to leave. House of Cards has secretly obtained the audio from this Las Vegas poker room. Here's the poker room manager's instructions to his staff upon seeing Ashley. I see you. I see you. You hit that in the face really f***ing hard. Sorry, man. <laughs> Ow, ow, ow. House of Cards, spreading love wherever we go. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. This is our mailbag segment. I'm joined in studio by one of my producers, Dave Weishel. Actually, today I'm joined by both of them because we're upstairs and <laughs> All three of us are here. Uh, it's like a walk-in closet, isn't it? No, it's a little bigger. It's cozy. <laughs> it's, it's a little little smaller than yeah. some studios I've been in, but larger than others. So um, what's up this week? Well, last week we talked about your uh, recent trip to India. I know you covered how bad the traffic was and your observance of... Uh, two different species of animals having sex, but we really never tackled the poker scene in India. I just want to get your impressions of uh, what, what your ideas about the Indian poker scene was. 
two species of animals having sex. Yeah, the, that's, uh, my, uh, the, that's my <laughs> observations. Right now, everyone's going to our podcast page for last week's show. So it's, uh, well, I'm, I'm afraid I didn't have my, uh, my video camera yeah. available, but wow. Anyway, um, poker scene. Well, there are four or five casino boats that have poker in Goa. This is right uh, in the city of, I forget the name, Panjim, I think, something like that, Panjim. They uh, have shuttle boats that connect. So you go out to these big casino boats, and the one I went to was the Casino Royale, which is the hot spot for poker okay. in, uh, in Goa. And what's funny is after all this incredibly foreign, different, weird, uh, surrealistic Indian landscape, I come out to this boat, get on board, walk downstairs to the poker room, and it's like being in a nice California poker room. <laughs> it's really not a whole lot different, except it's nicer. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. It's um, very nicely appointed. The tables are um, more like you'd see in a rich person's uh, den than you'd see in a, like a, the mass-produced, relatively inexpensive poker tables you see in a lot of poker rooms today. Okay. Nicely appointed. Not like the Poker Palace in Vegas. Not no. like <laughs> the Poker Palace. Um, there's no smoking, even though well, that's good. the rest yeah. of the country has tons of smoking. There's no smoking in the poker room. The It's funny. It was about 95 degrees outside. The poker room, I'm not exaggerating, when I got there, was about 55 degrees. They had air-conditioned the temperature so low that it was I was uncomfortably cold. <laughs> really? Uh, which, you know, I, I asked the poker room manager, I said, hey, uh, it's freezing in here. He said, don't worry, it will heat up when the players really start arriving. And sure enough, by the time I left, two hours later, when the room was filled with players, it was uh, about 72 degrees. He, he absolutely had it right on wow. the nail. Uh, the poker itself, I only witnessed two poker games while I was there. There was a cash game that I played in. The cash game was the equivalent of $2, $4 blind, $200 minimum buy-in, $800 or $900 maximum buy-in. But they told me that they will they spread all the time much bigger games, mm -hmm. uh, the equivalent of 4-8, 5-10, 10-25, mm -hmm. uh, and even a bigger game than that, occasionally a 25-50 game, which when you consider that the average family earning in uh in india is about i think it's about forty two hundred dollars a year hmm. we're talking about major league money by indian standards although this is an interesting thing that uh the poker room manager and i talked about poker room manager's name is craig um and we spoke for quite a long time he was very generous with his time we think a poker room manager in india is named craig he came from england Oh, okay. All yeah, right. which makes sense. Yeah, and, I guess so. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, and he knows, you know, all the guys in the poker world. Um, very, very obliging. And, yes, he's he's an Anglo like me, yeah. sp speaks with a British accent from uh, the central part of the U.K. I forget which place, the Midland area, uh, maybe Manchester. I forget. In any event, um, what we talked about was that even though the percentage of the Indian population that's middle class is much, much smaller than the United States. You know, in the United States, about 90 percent of Americans identify themselves as middle class. Um, in India, it's closer to 20 percent. But when you realize that the population of India is a billion people, their middle class is larger than ours. Yeah. 
right? They got two hundred million, something like that. So there are, there's no shortage of people with money, and uh, they think that the poker market is just at the very beginning of just exploding and taking off like gangbusters. He told me that this room has only been around for a couple of years and that prior to that, people did not know how to play poker in India. They had to teach gamblers who were in the casino how to play poker. I mean, there were obviously exceptions, people that had you know, gone to school in England or the United yeah, States yeah. and had come home. And, but for the most part, uh, poker is not in any way indigenous, you know, found in India until these boats opened up. So he's very excited. Were, were they mostly Indian players playing there, or were there a lot of tourists in there? Or they, Well, that's very interesting. Oh. Yes and yes. Oh, okay. All Indian, except for me, and almost all of them were tourists, Indian tourists, okay. that come down, and a lot of them come regularly from uh, other cities, because with the exception of a place way up in the border with Bhutan and China, in the northeast corner, this is the only place you can legally play poker. In the whole country. So if you're a poker player and you don't want to just play in a private underground game, you come down to Goa for the weekend or for the week or for two weeks. Or if you're unemployed for a couple of months, I guess, and you come and you play. And at my table, um, there were a couple of people on vacation. There were a couple of people that seemed to be retired. Uh, There was one just absolutely wild gambler who wanted to play in the private VIP room upstairs for huge money and was horrible. And I was just salivating at the, and, you know, <laughs> one a very significant pot by, by those small stake standards from him. Uh, the game itself was played just about the way a game with not great opponents would be in the United mm-hmm. States, like a one, two game in the United States. Okay. There'd be uh, a lot of calling of the blind preflop. Occasionally somebody would raise and, you know, if they raised to 12, they'd get three callers. Mm-hmm. Um, after the flop, you know, I was in a couple of hands that I'd raised to the size of the flop. I mean, I bet the si- I bet mm-hmm. the pot. And I would get a couple of loose callers. People were not very selective. There were the timid players that really waited and waited and waited till they had, you know, premium pairs. And then they would bet them aggressively and everybody would fold. There were some bad, loose players that just lost their stack and kept rebuying, and there was this crazy gambler. So it really was not very different. The chips were actually nicer than American chips. I don't know who their manufacturer is, but it was they felt like 14 or so grams. Um, I would have played longer if I wasn't sick as a dog, <laughs> and I would go back there if this particular room were closer to home, I would be frequenting it regularly because it was a good place to play poker. Well, I have to ask you because I know the answer. We talked about this off air. Gee, Ashley, what's the rake like? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, well, you got to realize they're starting up. They have huge expenses and all that, and I'm not, I'm not attacking them for it, but the rake is insane. Um, one good thing is it's only 5%. So for small and small middling pots... It's half of what it is in the United States, typically, which is 10%. But the maximum rake, which is very important in no limit, because even in a 2-4 game like this, 2-4 blind game, uh, you can have huge pots. The maximum is $100. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there... You can't make any money like that. 
Well, I mean, you can you can make money in the short run, but in the long, long run, run yeah. the house is going to end up yeah. with everything. I mean, they've got to. Um, and there's also a bad beat take. I mean, they didn't miss a trick. They have bad beat <laughs> jackpots, and uh, the jackpot was up to the equivalent of about sixty thousand dollars. It was the largest it had ever been in the history of oh. the casino. It only took aces full of jacks to beat which was nice, and wow. 10% of the bad beat jackpot is paid off to anybody when they hit a royal. So in Foxwood, you get a jacket. Up there, you get 10% of whatever the bad beat is. Sounds good. Yeah, so I'm not going back anytime soon, but if anybody wants to play poker in Goa, Casino Royale is the place to play. Uh, listeners, that's the end of the show. We're really glad you joined us. We're always interested in your questions. If you have ideas for guests that we should have on or things you'd like me to talk about, We're very open to that, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Good night, good day, and uh, good luck. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.